0: Welcome to Gardening Coast to Coast. I'm Gary Polarczyk. I have a YouTube channel called The Rusted Garden. My garden's on the East Coast in the state of Maryland.
1: And I'm Callie Kim, and I have a YouTube channel called Callie Kim Garden and Home, and my garden is on the West Coast in Southern California. And welcome to episode 20. I can't believe we're actually in our 20th episode. That's kind of a good uh, milestone here. But Gardening Coast to Coast is all about helping you have a better garden no matter where you live, if you're on the East Coast. Or if you're on the West Coast or somewhere in between or anywhere in the world, we're all about growing our gardens together and having a good time doing it.
0: 90 degrees already, 95 degrees already. And then another wow. day of 90 degree temperature, which was just crazy because that was only a couple of days ago and it totally wiped out all my cool weather crops. They bolted within that three day period because prior to those three days of 90s, we had 80 degree temperatures and I just didn't get what I wanted. Mother nature again, <laughs> threw a curve, no frost <laughs> this well, that's time, good. but heat that just bolted my spinach, my arugula, my lettuces and all that kind of stuff. So I'm in a process of ripping all of that out of the garden and put going all in on warm weather crops.
1: It's kind of crazy, the temperature fluctuations, because we had that 90 degrees, I want to say maybe a month ago, we had like three or four days of 90, 95. And since then, it's dipped down. We've been in the 70s, even the 60s. We always have something that comes through here in late May or June called the June gloom. It's pretty common. It's like a marine layer that comes in off the ocean. So we get sometimes even like half a day of cloudy weather before it kind of clears. So things grow a little bit slower right now because we don't have a ton of sunlight, but yes, same thing, Gary, I'm basically pulling out all my cool weather stuff. Everything's bolting the nasturtiums are pretty much toast and pretty much planting everything I possibly can. As far as warm weather veggies, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, kind of slow getting my onions in, but, uh, they're going in this week. And one thing that's, I'm really excited about is dahlias. My first time planting dahlia tubers they are just starting to come up. So, um, yeah, really excited about that. I can't wait for them to bloom and they're just amazing flowers. So looking forward to that coming up, hopefully within the next month or so.
0: And when we were talking about what subject to talk about today, um, the warm weather kind of brought us to uh, tomatoes and peppers. And you said eggplant. I totally forgot them. I love growing eggplant. So we could kind of squeeze eggplant in there because they're kind of planted the same way. And at least on the East coast, they have a little bit of a different insect problem that they get, but we can squeeze that in somewhere
1: yeah eggplant are great definitely one of my favorites
0: should we talk about tomatoes first
1: sure let's jump right in tons of stuff to talk about tomatoes i was trying to kind of narrow it down um and basically i just thought we maybe we'd start off with talking about the different types of tomatoes because a lot of people don't know there's basically two different types indeterminate and determinate tomatoes
0: right so we grow our determinate tomatoes in a way that we planned kind of for a shorter growth period, 60 or 70 days, we get the full harvest. Um, we pull them out and then maybe again, we plant them another wave of determinate tomatoes, the indeterminate just grow and grow and grow until on my side, until frost comes and takes them, um, or to disease and pests take them and they can get six, seven, eight feet tall. Um, they can get out of control. We'll talk a little bit about pruning, but those are the main, Types and in between that there's kind of semi-determinate, which means they just kind of grow bigger more slowly. Um, the homestead variety is is one of those, but you know mostly determinate and indeterminate type. And the question I get real quick is, people always say, "Well, how do you know what they are?" Um, you can't tell by looking at them. So if you don't know what you bought and you only have a name, put that name into a search and just say like um, whatever. <laughs> There's so many tomato varieties out there. I can't, I can't think of one. Mike <laughs> so, is a Golden so, Jubilee,
1: indeterminate okay. or determinate. Right. So and you it'll, can it'll say,
0: pull yeah, Golden Jubilee seeds, and then if you look at the seed companies, they will tell you if it's a determinate or indeterminate. That was funny. There's only what two thousand varieties <laughs> of tomatoes a out there. Billion
1: different tomatoes.
0: Right. um
1: Yeah, and it's kind of fun to grow, you know, a few varieties of each or many varieties of each, because your determinant tomatoes will, you know, like you said, you they're gonna grow to maturity a lot quicker than the determinate tomatoes indeterminate tomatoes and Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to to, sometimes it's easy to get them confused but the way i remember it is determinate grow and i think you might have said this grow to a determined size indeterminate Mm -hmm. are just kind of random and they just go for an indeterminate amount of time so in my mind that's kind of how i keep track of it but um the determinate you can usually get a couple rounds of um, throughout the growing season so it's kind of good to have a little bit of both
0: So before we get to pruning, I think it's important for people to understand what a tomato plant is. And it's a vine. So we typically train them up a stake and we're kind of controlling the size with pruning and stuff like that. But if you actually let a tomato plant just fall on the ground and kind of vine around, wherever the stem touches the ground, roots will come out. And then you're going to have the suckers which actually don't harm the tomato plant, but they create new production vines or production stems. They would just start crawling all over the place. So one tomato plant could take over a four by eight foot space. It could keep going. Half the plant could die off over time. The new parts of the plant that just rooted in will continue to grow, but it, be- it can become a mess. So we do prune and we do train our indeterminate tomato plants to really manage the size for several reasons, which we could you know talk about in a second. And then the determinate varieties might get three feet tall. They don't need much staking. You don't do a lot of pruning. You just kind of let them do their thing and then you pull them out and replant.
1: Yeah, now I don't have room to uh, let mine sprawl at all. So I stake my indeterminate and my determinate just because I think it looks a lot neater and tidier in the garden. And uh, it just keeps them a lot healthier. It keeps them up off the ground, makes them look better. And uh, kind of keeps them away from the critters. Well, somewhat anyway. Uh, but for me, I just don't have the space. If you have a ton of space, let them sprawl. Give it a try. Experiment with that. But I myself have never have never tried that before.
0: Yeah. And most of us stake them. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what I do. Um, for pruning, that's another subject that can be really confusing to people. Because there's that stigma of the tomato sucker, which makes it sound like it sucks the life out of the tomato plant. Or that it damages the tomato plant, but it it doesn't do that. It's actually just creating a brand new plant, so to speak. Because if you pinch off a sucker at a, when they're about one inch or two inches, you can put them into water. They'll root, and then you can make perfect clones of your plant. So it's really something that's trying to grow, um, but we thin them out. So I don't know how do you how do you prune your indeterminate tomatoes? Do you have a style? Mine is. Crazy and chaotic, which I'll explain.
1: <laughs> well, I wish I could say I was a little more consistent with it, but the main thing I try and do is um, keep the bottom like six, six inches or so of the plant clear. Um, I would love to say I always prune out the suckers because, you know, sometimes you get more tomatoes when you prune all those off. It does tend to manage the size a lot better when you can prune the suckers out, but I don't always get around to that. But definitely, I like to keep the bottom six inches or so of the plant clear just for the airflow. Um, You know, tomato diseases aren't as big of a problem here because we don't have the high humidity like you have, but it definitely does help control the plant. It just keeps the plant overall healthier. So that is the one thing I I try and be real good about is clearing the the bottom six inches or so of the plant.
0: So maybe we'll start with that. Maybe we'll kind of just build this as we're uh, talking. So when you bottom prune, and I actually take my plant up maybe 12 inches. So you create a a splash barrier, number one. Mm that soil splash doesn't get to the leaves, which can spread disease. But more importantly, sometimes that soil gets under the leaves and kind of damages the plant. But, you know, six inches, 12 inches gives nice airflow under your plant too, and allows you to kind of get in there to weed and just kind of see what's going on. Um, And that's good practice. Now you just don't want to do that when your plants only what 18 inches tall, you don't want to take out six or 12 inches. So you slowly do it as it's growing Um, you know, over the season. And it's something that you kind of get, you you just get to maybe after the tomato plants in maybe six weeks into its growth, you've got that, you've got that space pruned out.
1: That's probably about what I do. And for me, it's, it's like, if I've had a long day or whatever, it's kind of a relaxing thing for me. Um, As long as I've been keeping up with it, just to kind of go out in the garden at night and just kind of prune the bottom of the plants. It's not a real heavy duty garden job, but it's just something kind of fun to get out there and you get that beautiful tomato smell all over your hands. And you just feel good knowing that you're keeping your plants, uh, you know, clean and healthy.
0: I was just going to say that the tomato smell, uh, in my book, in the intro, it talks about my grandfather. And that's what I remember is the smell of the tomato plants. They were in brown paper bags, getting them into the ground. So when I'm pruning, not only is i'm like i love the smell because i guess because of that memory but you also watch your fingers turn from a nice dark (laughs) green to almost a black when you keep touching the leaves so um you know and it's a it's a good experience pruning the suckers which again i'm just going to state and i actually just did a video on it three days ago if you people want to check out my youtube channel the rusted garden homestead you'll see how i actually prune this plant and everything that we're talking about I start off really well, like maybe for that first six weeks or eight weeks, what are we in? We're almost into June. So I get tired out, say mid July. So my plants look pretty yeah. good to start and they look nice on the bottom half and then they're just crazy up top, like crazy hair. But I do pull out the suckers. Really, I try and do that for the first maybe three feet of growth, just so the plant is growing up. Um The reason you prune out suckers mainly is to manage the size. You know, if you have no diseases and you have plenty of room, you don't have to go crazy with the pruning. Um, I just kind of like to get them through June, half of July. Um, You know, maybe we can talk about hydrogen peroxide. But I found since I started spraying my tomatoes with that, I don't have to prune as much because I've really learned to manage the fungus that come and attack my plants. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah. So that's the other reason that you prune is to manage pest and disease. And then the third reason is that if you remove the suckers and you leave more leaves and you have fewer flowers turning into tomatoes, you can grow bigger tomatoes. And some people I know like growing those two pound, three pound, four pound, five pound tomatoes. And they prune to put all that energy into fewer tomatoes to get something that might win a contest at a fair or a state fair or something like that.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely not something that you have to do. I think the first year I grew, one of the first years I, I grew tomatoes at this house, I just planted massive amounts of tomatoes. It was crazy. Way too many in, in the space I had. I didn't do a thing to them all summer, except for water them. And I got more tomatoes than I get now. So it's just one of those things I think it's kind of a personal preference. And again, if you live in an area of higher humidity where you might have more diseases prevalent, it might be something you want to pay a little bit more attention to. Um, but I don't think it's a mandatory tomato issue, but it definitely does help manage the, the size for sure. Which I think these days, so many people are growing in small spaces. So if that's you, then uh, it's probably something you want to consider doing.
0: It's all, And yeah. And I think too, sometimes people and I have more space. And at one time I would grow 60 varieties of tomatoes. If I didn't prune them, I would have thousands of pounds of tomatoes that I can't (laughs) give away. So by kind of pruning the plant down, I get fewer tomatoes, but I also have, I had 60 varieties. So I was getting enough tomatoes coming in that way. So you're also kind of pruning based on the number of plants you have, the space that you have, and how many tomatoes that you want to get. That also makes me think you know, you have the cherry tomatoes, the grape tomatoes, the smaller tomatoes, the baseball sized tomatoes. Um, we also have plum tomatoes, Roma tomatoes, but There's then so you have the, the one pounders. <laughs> Some people say don't prune your cherry tomatoes. I get that question a lot. Um, you have to, they just go crazy. You're not going to, you're not going to not get fruit from indeterminate tomatoes because you prune. So don't be afraid to do it if you need to, you're not going to, you're not going to hurt the plant.
1: Right. I think uh, there's just so many different varieties of tomatoes you can grow. So it's just a matter of getting out there, trying a different, a few different kinds. And every year I always try a few new varieties. I mean, I have my favorites that I have in my garden every single year, but you know, when you're looking at the, you know, through the seeds and all that. There's just so many that like, oh gosh, I've got to try this one. of course I always end up starting way too many, even though I tell myself I'm not going to. Um, But one thing that I wanted to mention too about tomatoes is that a lot of people ask me, why are my tomato blossoms drying up? And I don't know if you've done a video on this yet, Gary, if you're in the 95 degree temperature range, but you know, a lot of people wonder that. And a lot of times for me, at least it's due to the heat. Once it hits 90, 95, the tomato, it's just pretty hot for any garden vegetable. And I do use a lot of shade cloth in my garden for the tomatoes, and it really does help. Now, with you with a larger space, I don't know if you're able to do that or if you just say, I've got enough. It doesn't matter if you dry up or not. But that's one thing that really does help uh, get more production in the summertime, at least for me, is if I throw some shade cloth over my tomatoes when it hits like 95.
0: I like doing a podcast with you because it makes us think and generate ideas. I would have forgotten to talk about that. So yeah, a lot of people think tomato plants are tropical and that they love the heat. You know, peppers love the heat. Tomatoes like kind of semi-tropical conditions. And when you get into that 95 degrees, that 100 degrees, the sun is pounding down on the soil of your garden, heating up that first four, six inches of the soil they go into survival mode. So that's exactly what happens is they will drop their fruit, they will drop their flowers, and they're just going to hang out until the conditions are right. So you use shade cloth. I use a lot of mulch. So mulch, two inches of mulch, um, really keeps the moisture in that top four, six six inches of the soil, and it protects them from that sun beating down. So if the roots aren't getting overheated, because even if it's 95 and the sun's just beating down, you know how objects – objects can get beyond 90 degrees that's what's going to happen to your soil yeah and it's going to dry out that's going to stress the plant and the heat's going to stress the plant and then it just makes for you know a bad usually what six week eight week period in certain areas so yeah. shade cloth or mulch or a combination of both will make a big difference
1: definitely i've had a lot of questions lately a lot of uh, emails dms that kind of thing about just people having extreme heat and just with all the climate change and everything, it's it's going to be, I think, even more of an issue this summer. And especially here in California, when we're facing some water restrictions, uh, mulch is definitely key. A couple inches of mulch. This year I'm even doing three or four inches of mulch rather than my usual two inches. And then I've got my shade cloth ready. I've only had to use it one day so far, one or two days because the plants were still really young and just couldn't handle the 95 degree heat when they were like, you know, three or four inches tall. As they get bigger, they'll be a little bit more able to handle it. But if it gets into the high 90s, I'll probably just throw shade cloth as best I can over my tomato cages and hope for the best. But what I found, I've actually done some little tests with my thermometer. It can keep them like 10 degrees cooler or so under the shade cloth. So it is definitely a good investment. Um, You know, in a pinch, you can use an old sheet, but there's plenty of shade cloth um, sources out there at your garden center, Amazon, whatever, to uh, grab yourself some and just kind of keep it on hand for those heat waves.
0: There's some planting strategies too. So, like, I don't know if we've talked about in the podcast, but I love cattle panel. It's 16 feet long, four feet wide. And I have arches all over my garden built out of that. And if you build the arches so that the rainbow actually faces the south, you could plant tomatoes or crops under that and maybe grow beans up the side. So the beans create sort of a canopy. That help protect that plant when it gets really hot out. So you can use plants that way too, and it keeps them a little bit cooler, yeah, which definitely. will help extend, um, I guess, their production period. So don't be worried if your tomato plants seem to die off slightly or they stop producing. It's really because it's now too hot. So you just have to, you know, do what we're talking about, or kind of wait for the cool weather to come, and they will bounce. They will bounce back.
1: Yeah, and they do. And a lot of times what I'll do, if I get the dry, crispy leaves, either from the wind or the heat, I'll just go through and kind of prune those off. And then once the weather cools off a little bit, you know, I might give them a little dose of some fertilizer or whatever, and they'll bounce back, start growing new leaves and start putting out um, new blossoms again. So it's just kind of part of the, the circle of life, I guess you'd call it.
0: So you said you have favorite varieties of tomatoes. I'll put you on the spot. What are they?
1: I do. I have one that I grow every year. I love it. I am kind of partial to yellow or orange tomatoes. The one I really love is called Golden Jubilee. Mm -hmm. And um, definitely one of my favorites. Very sweet. But I like to grow different colors. I like to make fresh sauce out of my tomatoes and peppers. So I always grow like an orange one. Uh, Last year, one of my favorites was um, Aunt Ruby's German Green, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. I grow. It's really pretty. You have that too? Yeah, it's a great one um i do like the the smaller cherry varieties like the sun gold is like eating candy uh the tiny tim is always one of my favorites a little dwarf container tomato and just crazy prolific it's a determinate variety but it will produce for several months if you keep the plant you know kind of pruned up and everything so that's definitely one of my favorites too i was thinking of another one um I think, uh, what was the other one that I was growing last year? I really like, oh, the Marglobe is a nice one. It tends to be a yep. little bit more um, heat tolerant. So uh, those are those are some that I always have. And this year, I've got the chocolate sprinkles as well, which I'm excited about. So, I mean, I could go on. There's so many different varieties that I love, but those are a few of my favorites. How, How many you? plants do you have? Yeah. Um, let's see. Right now, I probably have one, two, three, four, five, maybe 10 with like a whole bunch more I could stick in. Little places, if I can find Here a spot for them. Yeah, 10 or well, 15 that, probably. <laughs> isn't
0: that the, the curse, though? We, well, first of all, we see them in catalogs or at stores and we impulse buy them, which I can probably say many of us do. And then you plant them and then you are like, all right, where am I going to tuck this one in? I'm going for yeah. 25 or 30 plants, cutting That's down good. my my 60.
1: <laughs> um, it's still a lot, though.
0: It, it's a lot, yeah. So I like uh, the Golden Jubilee is one of my favorites. And that's an old All-America Selections winner. It's a just one. a nice, solid, round, almost baseball size. Some of them get pretty big, right? The they jubilee. do.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're about um, baseball size, I'd say.
0: And very kind of heavy and meaty and great for sauce. I like Matt's Wild Cherry, which I used to grow all the time, fell off my radar, and I found the mm. pack two days ago. So I'm going to grow that again. It's the cherry tomato that's used for a lot of the hybrids to make the sweeter tomatoes, but it's really prolific. It deals with the heat here really well on the East coast. So that's Matt's wild cherry. I'm looking forward to growing that again. Um, The Juliet is a grape tomato that is super prolific. That's also an all America selections winner. I recommend that one. And then I like the homestead. It's it's a yeah. great tomato for the humidity. I like the Mar Globe because of the reasons that you said for the heat and humidity here too. And then Bonnie's best is a good one too. These are all nice round size, uh, red tomatoes, baseball size that do well here on the East Coast. And again, nice. I could, I mean, there's a whole lot more. Um, so many. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I could, I, I would love to grow just like 500 varieties just to grow, but I need to. I need people to come get them. The so space. It,
1: Yeah. And it's just all the production that you, know. you have. One thing I that's kind of like- cool is um, my friend Cliff, who's actually my moderator too. He grows giant tomatoes. He was the, the judge of the giant tomato contest last year. Right. Well, he always sends out seeds of his prized tomatoes. So he sent me some. I got them all started and kind of transplanted them in a one gallon container. But when I was transplanting them, I dropped the container So all the tomatoes spilled everywhere. All the tags fell out. Everything got mixed up. Oh, no. So I just put a few of his varieties in the garden, but I'm not (laughs) sure which ones are which. So I might have to uh, send him pictures and have him help me identify them. So it's one of those you know, crazy things. (laughs) It's like a
0: mystery. I think I almost like growing them maybe more than I do eating them. I would, I think- Generally speaking for my garden, I just love growing everything and just watching it kind of go from a brown canvas to, you know, really a a beautiful place with food and plants and colors and stuff. It's
1: really neat. And it's sometimes it's hard for me to actually pick my tomatoes because I love how they look. But then I talk myself out of that once I think about, you know, Mm -hmm. eating them, but you know, that's kind of a waste if you don't pick them and harvest them, which actually kind of is, is something good to talk about too, is harvesting tomatoes like how do you know when to harvest them now Uh,
0: in my opinion you tell me
1: (laughs) you know what i uh i wrote the wrong thing on my notes here but i meant to write it for peppers but i mean i like to let them ripen on the vine as much as i can for the best flavor however that being said you know you've got squirrels you've got rats you've got critters coming to eat them so they will ripen off the vine if you pick them a little bit early just kind of at that first blush um, they'll ripen, you can put them in on your countertop or in a paper bag, which is kind of a handy little trick. Um, but of course, for right. the best flavor, let them ripen as much as possible on the vine till they have a little bit of a give to them, just a little bit when you squeeze them.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The hard thing sometimes is the different colored tomatoes or the different size tomatoes. They're sort of hard, but if you kind of grab the tomato and you just press your thumb or finger into there, if it gives just a little bit and bounces back, that's probably the time. To you know, pick it. The other thing that you can do too is you you know, like you've seen cherry tomatoes split, right? When it rains too much, um, some varieties have thinner skins, some varieties have thicker skins. They're also kind of created hybrids are created so that you don't get that cracking. Sometimes, if there's tons of rain, your tomato can be a little bit watery tasting because it's it's drawing in so much water. So you also want to kind of slow down with the watering or keep it kind of consistent. So that when you go to pick them, it's just full of the right amount of sugars and waters and stuff like that. I don't pay that much attention to it. I'm kind of aware of it. Like if I'm going to do a big harvest, I'll harvest first before I do a big watering. But that's the extent that I worry about that.
1: Yeah, that's a good little tip too. Let's
0: see. We kind of talked about diseases and pests. Um, I mean, maybe we should go over that real quick too. Pruning makes a difference the bottom line for me that when you have pests and disease it's to kind of check to see what they are when they come in make notes and start preventive treatment about two weeks early and you can manage down the problems
1: yeah basically that that's a great idea hopefully you can prevent it before it happens um i know for me as far as disease i just try and go through my garden a couple times a week especially for the tomatoes just clip off anything that looks yellow or spotted or brown to kind of manage the disease. I don't do a ton of sprays for diseases. Um, I don't have such a huge problem as, you know, other people do in higher humidity areas. I'd say the biggest issue I have with my tomatoes is the critters and spider mites. When it gets hot and dry here, the spider mites just come in and attack. And if I don't stay on top of those, then they're really, really hard to get rid of. So that's one thing I really try and pay attention to as soon as I see anything going on is, um, Spray it with water and then do one of our sprays, like we talked about um, on our episode a few episodes ago. We talked about like oh, the neem yeah. oil. Yeah. And that really does help manage it tremendously if you can stay on top of the spider mites, because those can be yeah. just crazy hard to get rid of.
0: <laughs> well, they're hard to see. You know, they're yeah. there. Sometimes you see the webbing, the plants start, the leaves start to yellow, and they always start on the bottom because they are actually crawling and then reproducing and then crawling up and it kind of worked the way of the plant. I use peppermint oil spray for spider mites on my cucumber plants. I don't get them on my tomato plants for whatever oh, that's reason. Good. Um, but we definitely get um, leaf spot. We get early blight. And what I have found works, and I just want to stress this, that whatever spray you create or make spray like one plant a little bit, wait 48 hours, make sure there's no damage because sometimes that happens. But I use hydrogen peroxide. It's about a six to one ratio. I have a video on it. If you look at look up hydrogen peroxide and tomatoes, you can get more details. I don't use it on every plant. I just haven't needed to do it that way. But spraying the hydrogen peroxide has really changed, like I was saying earlier, how I prune because it actually contacts the leaf the six to one ratio doesn't damage the leaf and it actually almost cleans and kills the leaf spot or early blight so that it stops reproducing. And I can do that weekly if I need to. And I just don't get that spread of disease. The other thing would be is some people use different antifungals, and you know, I don't want to get too much into the details, but it's really just a matter of splaying of spraying at a consistent routine. If it's every seven days, 10 days, 14 days, whatever you need, that really slows the diseases moving up your plants. And pest wise, we don't get much. I mean, we can still get the, um, the tomato hornworm and stuff like that, but it's pretty rare. You know, if I get those, I basically search them out with a black light towards the evening and they kind of glow and just remove them all.
1: Yeah, that's I think the same here. We get those from from time to time, but not like super often. So it might be helpful for, for our uh, listeners to go back and listen to the episode we did on the insect sprays to really apply this, you know, apply those to tomatoes and as we move into peppers as well. Mm-hmm. I did want to talk though. I mean, we could talk about tomatoes literally like all day long. I think there's so for many sure. different things, but I did want to touch on kind of container growing tomatoes in containers, which so many people are container gardening. If you only have a a patio or a deck or, you know, you're growing an apartment, don't think that you can't grow tomatoes because you don't have a lot of space. So I, uh, I recommend growing them in at least a 10 gallon. Um, And I like growing them in fabric pots and smart pots, because I think you can grow a bigger uh, tomato in a fabric pot because you're not getting their roots circling like you would like in a, a five gallon bucket or some type of, hard sided container. So that's one of my little secrets is to grow in a fabric pot because you get that airflow to the roots. Um, some people like to only grow determinant tomatoes in containers because they're a smaller size tomato. I, I don't really stick to that. I grow determinant tomatoes or grow indeterminate tomatoes. I've got a really nice, probably three or four actually really nice golden jubilee plants. Kind of went crazy with that one this year. Um, growing in a 10 gallon and then a 15 or 20 gallon smart pot. Um, And they're looking absolutely beautiful. So definitely you don't just have to stick to the smaller varieties. Um, If you want to grow in a smaller container, I would say choose a smaller, like a five gallon, choose a a smaller variety, like a determinate variety or the dwarf tomatoes. There's lots of different dwarf tomatoes out there um, that Mm -hmm. you can grow, but just kind of stick to a smaller one for a five gallon. I would agree. uh, Yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was just going to add that I have grown in the five-gallon paint buckets, mm-hmm. um, indeterminate tomatoes, and I now recommend, like you're saying, I recommend ten to twenty-gallon containers, and I do like fabric pots, and it's really based on how hot your July and August get. When that tomato plant gets to you know a mature size, it can suck the fertilizer and water out of that soil within you know, four hours of a watering, you know, and it can really pull the nutrients out, you know, within a week. So you have to really be able to maybe even water these plants sometimes two times a day, smaller container, maybe even three times a day, because if that root system dries out one time, it can damage the production of the fruit. So, you know, it's a Yeah, strategy. I think that's
1: important. It's definitely, you've got to pay attention to the watering and the feeding. Now, Gary, I know that you don't have drip irrigation because you get lots of rain or you might have to water with your sprinkler every now and then, but like if I don't have drip, I'm like dead in the water. So my containers get watered, you know, to where the soil doesn't ever dry out. It's very consistent with the watering um, because if it like the, my few containers that aren't on drip to rehydrate them, if they dry, I'll have to like literally put them in a tub of water. So it soaks it up. And uh, it completely hydrates the pot again. So yeah, that is really important with containers. Is you really have to pay attention to that, and the fertilizing too. Like every ten days or two weeks, really is to get maximum you know production out of your tomato uh, container tomatoes is really important.
0: Yep. I think I and mean, maybe you know East Coast, well Northeast anyway, we get more rain. You need drip irrigation, so it's when you're kind of moving down the south of the East Coast and then kind of over to the Central parts of the US. Um, that you have to really be aware of how hot your temperatures are getting cuz maybe you're in between yeah. lots of rain and hand watering and drip irrigation. Right. But there's there's nothing worse than having your tomato plant get the size for whatever reason you miss watering the container, it dries out, the plant root root system can't pull in calcium and then you're getting these brown um spots on the bottom of your tomatoes, which is blossom end rot. And that's a, that's not a disease. That's a a nutrient issue where your, your plant just can't pull out calcium. So it takes the calcium from the fruit, sends it to other parts of the plant. Um, and that's really mostly comes when the plant dries out.
1: That could definitely be an issue for container growing. So yeah, definitely keep an eye on that. Okay. Wow. Tomatoes like 30 minutes on tomatoes. It's just crazy how much how much information there is out there. So, you know, I would just say, keep it simple. Um, you can go through our and listen to our uh, episode here, but just pick some a couple of varieties that really work for you. And then maybe pick one or two methods, get yourself a good trellis, a good support for your tomatoes, and, you know, just go for it.
0: Yeah, and, and maybe, right, don't overdo it. You might want to try out a determinate variety determinate variety tomato just to see how it grows, um, in a 10 gallon container. And then you kind of have a plan that as that plant begins to die out, maybe two or three weeks before that you have some seeds going and you replace it. Maybe that works best for you Yeah. or try, you know, the ind- indeterminate tomato in a container, 10 to 20 gallons. I probably wouldn't do too many cherry tomatoes they can just get out of control but if you do that's a case where I think you would have to prune a lot more in a 10 gallon container than you would in the ground so pruning also then will come into play for container size but whatever you do have fun with it don't be worried about making a mistake you don't need to be perfect and the only way to learn is to really plant up a couple containers plant up your earth and see what happens
1: exactly and talk to people in your area at your like family-owned garden centers and find out what grows well in the area where you live and then just try it out
0: congratulations i want to keep saying that because two books is wonderful i'm actually possibly going to be writing another book myself oh
1: wow it's a secret so all right
0: don't don't spread the word.
1: Don't spread um, the word. Nobody heard that, right?
0: Yeah. And I'm looking <laughs> forward to it and not looking forward to it. Like it's wonderful yeah. when it's done. Um, but, you know, I know you're having all that excitement with, you know, kind of promoting the book and meeting people. And I know it's being received pretty warmly. Well, it
1: definitely is very consuming, but you do see the rewards um when you see your book in print, you see the photos, you get to meet people and hear how it's impacting their lives. So it's definitely the fun part now on the on the fun side of things. But congratulations. Hopefully it all goes well for you.
0: And I think by the time this podcast comes out, we could probably talk about us meeting up for June twenty fifth. The agenda is being set up. Um, but on June June twenty fifth, it's a Saturday. Yes. Kim and Jerry are going to be coming down to the East coast and they're going to get to see what a real garden looks like. No, I'm Ooh. just kidding. <laughs> but we're going to do uh, different videos and stuff like that, but we're going to be going to Freetown farm and we're going to kind of just do a garden talk, um, open it up to people. It will be a ticketed event. Um, that is part of a fundraiser for the Community Ecology Institute. And the Freetown Farm Initiative really creates gardening spaces, teaches gardening to the community, gives food out to the community. But we will have more information on that being sent out you know, through our other social media. But I thought this would be nice because by the time this gets aired, the full agenda and everything will be out and available for people. And I think we would love to hopefully get at least a dozen people, but I hope so, <laughs> maybe some yeah. more. I'm That'll excited. It's the
1: first event we've ever done. The first like kind of quote unquote formal event we've done together. So if you live anywhere out on the East coast, well, near Maryland, where what what's the, the name of the city where it's in or the town?
0: It's in Columbia, Maryland. Okay. So it's Howard County, just outside Columbia, of Baltimore, Maryland. Maryland yeah. Right. And so Virginia, DC, Delaware, um, probably, you know, with, within driving distance or you know, not too far for people.
1: Yeah. I think it'll be fun. We'd love to meet you and, uh, you know, sign a book, just have, have some fun hanging out, probably do a little workshop of some type. And, uh, like Mm. Gary said, that agenda will be out soon. Hopefully by the time this podcast airs, we'll put it in the description possibly.
0: Oh yeah. That's a good idea. We will definitely do that. And we're going to, you know, setting it up so that we can interact with everybody and, um, just really talk gardening, which is what I love to do. And I think that's what gardeners love to do. Right.
1: It's fun to hang out and Chat it up. Well, Should we did go have list- some questions yeah, from the listeners. Um, so if you have a question, please email us at gardeningcoasttocoast to coast at gmail.com or you can fill out the form on the website, gardening coast to All of a sudden I forgot the website. Mm-hmm. And it's gardening coast the number two coast. Um, <laughs> so send us your questions. <laughs> We'd love I to was, answer them. <laughs>
0: I was just gonna say the same thing, but i you know,
1: restrained yourself.
0: <laughs> I restrained <laughs> myself. But right. It is gardening coast to coast and it's coast number two coast. Um, you can find us that way. Yeah, it you, can, you can find I've, us. I've done the search. Pop so. it into
1: Google and you'll find us.
0: Uh, yep. Okay. So
1: our first question comes from Brittany and Brittany says, I've been watching both your channels since I bought my first house in 2020. Started my first garden in 2021. I love this, Gary. I often hear Gary's voice inside my head when I'm out in the garden guiding me in the right direction. That's great. And Kim, Mm -hmm. I love your eternal optimism. I'm in Ohio, zone 6B. My question has to do with nasturtiums. I've had very little success germination. I managed to have one plant survive out of two seed packs last year. And this year, I'm having the same problem. It seems that everyone finds them so easy to grow. So I'm not sure if I need to try a different variety or if it has to do with my zone. I've tried soaking them and nicking the seed coat, but didn't seem to make a difference. Any tips on getting these to grow? They're so beautiful, and I would love to have them around the garden.
0: So I, well, one, I'm glad my voice is directing her in the right direction. That'd be kind of scary if it was the other way. Um, I have trouble growing them, and I'm on the East Coast. I'm not sure where you are located, Brittany, but Sometimes seed starting them in larger containers makes a difference. It just helps with everything, you know, just going correctly. Sometimes direct sowing makes a difference. Um, But I do find I have trouble with them. And sometimes even when I get them growing here, they are hit by aphids so fast that it just messes up everything. Um, So they're not as easy as you might think at least makes me feel better by saying that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Brittany's in Ohio. So I wonder if it has to do with the climate. Uh, maybe it's, I know, I mean, for, for me, they grow like crazy. I, I haven't had an issue growing them, but I know they're very cold sensitive as well. So if, you, if you're if you planting them outside and maybe you get a really cold night or if it happens to frost, the frost is definitely going to kill them. They, they won't grow uh, past a frost. Um and you can start them, you know, like, like Gary said, a couple of different ways indoors, you know, in a little six pack, or even just plant them directly in your garden beds. Once you get them growing though, they're going to drop seeds and then come back after that. But I have a feeling it might either have to do with it being too hot. Like if you're growing them inside and it's a little bit too hot under your grow lights, or if you're growing them outside, like in the early spring, maybe it's just a tad bit on the cold side for the seeds to germinate. So, um, you know, you may want to try just kind of playing around with that a little bit and then see if that makes a difference.
0: They're kind of like the three little bears. They need that just right place to sit or right porridge to do what they need to do. That's
1: right. That's right. But once you get them going, they're going to just keep coming back year after year. So that's the great thing about them. Okay. Next question from Alejandro. And Alejandro says, I've seen some of your older videos on pruning indeterminate tomatoes in containers where you basically keep one main stem. Do you still follow this rule? Also, aren't I getting a lot less fruit from removing the suckers? I have very limited space where I have two indeterminate sun gold plants in a 10-gallon fabric pot, so I want to get as much as I can out of these plants. Will I come to regret only keeping the main stem? Is there a happy medium? thanks for all the videos and information you guys put out there. I think he's talking about your video, Gary.
0: Yeah. So there is a happy medium. So if you ever kind of looked up pictures of tomatoes grown in hothouses, you know, or inside, you know, for, for mass production and stuff like that, they prune them down to one or two stems, but they also trellis them. And you you see they're up like 12, 14, 16 feet high, and they use ladders to harvest. So they're really keeping two stems producing, but they are taking them way up. And it's like every two leaves, there's a cluster of tomatoes form, flowers form, then tomatoes form. So you're going to get a lot of tomatoes. If you remove stems or suckers and you're sticking with one or two stems, yes, you're going to get less tomatoes, but you may also get more tomatoes than you need just out of two stems let's just say and you may get larger tomatoes so that being said you don't have to prune just a single stem or double stem and i've done videos on triple stems you can do you know more or less or whatever but when a sucker starts to come out It's going to do a leaf, a leaf, and usually a flower cluster, and then another leaf, and it's going to keep going. You can then cut that sucker off, so to speak, leave it on the plant, but cut the top. So just to be clear, you're leaving the sucker attached in the joint of your tomato plant. You get a leaf, a leaf, a flower cluster, you let another leaf form, and then you top it off, so to speak. You will also get that cluster. So you can kind of, to answer your question, you can kind of do whatever you want. You're just kind of pruning it to keep the size to something that you can keep the plant healthy. And based on a variety, you can start figuring out how much it really produces. So I don't know how clear that was, but you don't have to stick to a single stem.
1: And I think there's so many different ways to do it. Again, we're always saying that, but it's really true you know, try a couple different ways, maybe one way on one plant, another way on another, and then see which way you like the best or which way produces the amount that you would like to produce for your tomatoes. And you'll get it down over, you know, the growing season and kind of make adjustments for the next year.
0: Yeah. I know they can just get really big. Like even sometimes when I was growing in containers, I would prune more to start. I would kind of let it go. The heat of July comes in. I prune a little bit more kind of taking care of them. And then you know, as we roll into August, I would just let the whole plant go, you know, and it would look kind of chaotic, but the cooler temperatures start coming. Um, and I get, you know, more production that way too. So there's a whole lot you can do. I mean, it's just really a strategy for the space that you have, the type of plant that you have and the temperatures that that you get.
1: Yeah. And we typically get our hottest uh, temperatures in September and October, so we kind of have to manage it until then and then see how things go as far as how the plant looks and all that stuff if we want to keep on trimming and pruning. Okay. And one more question here from, actually, let's, I'm going to do the question on um, eggplant from Miriam. And Miriam says, I have a question regarding my eggplant seedlings that due to weather, I have not been able to move them outdoor yet. I just noticed today that some have started to flower. Do you recommend pinching the flowers off prior to moving them outside? The seedlings look beautiful and healthy, about six inches tall. And by the way, we went from winter to summer just yesterday, which I think a lot of people are dealing with. Mm-hmm. So I plan on hardening them off the next week or so before transplanting. And she attached some pictures to the email and her seedlings look absolutely amazing, look beautiful.
0: Yeah. Thanks for so would... your help. Yeah, I would remove the flowers. You just you don't need your transplant putting energy into flowers and f- and fruit growth. Um, you just don't need the fruit that early. So I would remove them. Fertilize the plant because if it's in a container and it's getting to that point, you just want to make sure it's not taking all the fertilizer out of your, your little container. Um, Give them some nitrogen and harden them off. Just like you're saying, you're probably then getting them into the ground and real quick. I mean, they're just kind of like tomatoes and peppers. They like that 50 to 60 degree soil temperature. They like upper 50, 60 degree ambient temperature nights, 70 to 80 degree days. You're just getting them into the ground at the right time with the right care, the right fertilizer and eggplant will take off. They will get gigantic and you will get massive production and you won't even miss that fruit or that flower that you're taking off right now i mean when we get to peppers i do the same thing when i'm transplanting them in i'm removing any peppers or flowers because if you leave a pepper plant in just a two and a half inch container i've grown large banana peppers when the pepper plant had just stayed in that container and the plant only gets maybe 12 inches tall yeah. like it will just put it's all exciting. of its energy into there
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that, that kind of, we were going to talk about eggplant and maybe that's our little end to talk about eggplant, um, but it kind of mm. goes with, are we ready to move into peppers now, Gary? Because eggplant and peppers kind of go hand in hand.
0: Let's move into there. I mean, um, maybe this cast will go a little bit longer because I guess we picked the, probably two plants that really could be talked about for an hour each. That's right. So the disease I get on my eggplant are, actually, I don't get a disease. The pests that I get on my eggplant are flea beetles and they will just devastate the plant at transplant really they're out there now and it's just hundreds of little holes in the leaves and the plant starts to yellow i have to hit them with an insect dust organic or not organic doesn't matter dusts are kind of non-discriminate killers but i dust at night kills off the flea beetles i rinse it off in the morning so the pollinators are more safe Um, in other videos i used to put bags over them just so nothing can get to them but flea beetles are the bane here on the East Coast. And sometimes you have to do a maintenance dusting every seven to 10 days just to keep the flea beetles off. And if you do that, these plants can get five feet tall, a couple feet wide. Um, they're going to need lots of staking because the eggplant get heavy, but they can just really go crazy here on the East Coast.
1: Yeah, you get the flea beetles. Again, the spider mites are what usually are attacking my eggplant. In fact, I just had one, um, one that overwintered. It grew over the winter. It was my best producing black beauty uh, eggplant last year. I cut it way back and it just started popping out. But the spider mites attacked it like the very first thing when this new green leaves started coming out. But I was able to hit it with a neem peppermint oil combination, pruned off all the leaves that were you know, bad. And it has just really taken off tons of flowers right now. And it's probably, I want to say maybe about three feet tall. So, yeah, they definitely do. need. I think I've got uh, a double tomato cage around it. Like I like to put my tomato cages, put one in the bottom, invert it, a second one, attach it with cable ties. So it makes a nice big cage for it. Mm -hmm. But um, last year it was had a really tiny little cage and I was constantly staking it up with extra little stakes. So this year I kind of went all out for it. But yeah, the spider mites go crazy for the eggplant and the tomatoes here.
0: Yeah, if you do if you t- if you do a good job with the eggplant, it will get huge, and yeah. you, you don't need many. I mean, yeah. that does lead to peppers. I mean, they're all kind of in the same category. Uh, peppers. So let me tell you about my pepper plants. Okay, let So <laughs> I grew all of them inside. I have I don't know 60, 100 plants. It doesn't matter. Um, so two <laughs> well, weeks
1: that's ago, that's a lot. Gary, that's a
0: lot. <laughs> and I've I've tried to plant them all. I'm doing all kinds of. Uh, plantings. I have 25 jalapeno plants in a four foot by four foot space. Oh my goodness. So l- let me try and focus myself. First of all, pepper <laughs> plants like to hold hands. They can be planted much more closely together than you think. And by planting them more closely together, you save space, you increase production. So I am shooting a video or rendering a video right now where this is happening. On planting about forty-eight pepper plants in a four-foot by eight-foot and a four-foot by four-foot space, about a foot apart. You can also put two plants into one planting hole, and they grow pretty well. The bottom line is, is pepper plants can be planted much more closely together. You'll get better production. Um, and a lot of times, you see, you know, plant them two feet apart or something like that. You just don't have to do that.
1: Yeah, I, I actually plant mine. I try and cram as much as I can, and I want to say even like eight to 12 inches. And one reason why they like to touch is because of course, peppers love the heat. They love the full on sun. So mm-hmm. for me, I don't have a, a huge four by four bed to plant mine, but they're in the sunniest spot of my garden. When it's 95 degrees out, those peppers, fruit that come on are getting sun scald. So the peppers kind of shade, the pepper leaves kind of shade the pepper fruit and help prevent that, which is going to just help the plant produce more. Um, you can still eat the sun peppers, but Uh, You just cut off that little kind of thinned, scalded part. But um, yeah, I try and cram a lot of mine in as well, but also provide them with some support. I don't know if you support yours with like cages or if you don't. So I think when I was there, when we were there last year, I don't know if I remember your pepper plants. Did you have little tomato cages around them or do you put, you stake them I up do. or. Okay. So yeah,
0: ha- right. You have those lame tomato cages that are like this really thin wire. That right. do not work, they do not work no. for indeterminate tomatoes. They just bend and fold over, uh, fall over, but they're perfect for the pepper plant because yeah. the pepper plants actually can stand upright. Okay. But if it gets windy or you go to pick it, it's real easy to break a whole branch. Yeah, off. So they're kind of fragile need stems. Support. Definitely need that. So, in my uh, general rambling here, um, the pepper plants went out maybe two weeks ago. We got hit with 40-degree nights. It really damaged all of my transplants. Let's just say a group of 60 or whatever. And then we were getting tons of rain, and the plants yellowed. They got, I don't know, some sort of disease that was just brief on the leaves. So I had these you know beat-up-looking Pepper plants, and I just want to let people know with tomato plants, eggplant, um, pepper plants, why they're still in your transplant um, cups or containers or whatever you have. If they get beat up, hit them with fish emulsion or water-soluble nitrogen fertilizer. These plants want to grow. So 10 days later from that, in the video today, I just put out those pepper plants. They look great. They're coming back. When the pepper plants lose leaves, they're going to send out more. They're going to be bushier. So even though they got beat up, they're okay because I used water-soluble nitrogen. But that's also a tale of don't rush them out because if they're rushed out into the cold, they're not going to do anything except get sick and then you have to take care of them. Hold them yeah. or or time them so they're getting out when that soil is 50, 60 degrees, the nights are in upper 50s, 60s, and the days are in the 70s or 80s. They love the heat more so than tomato plants. That was a long story just to say that.
1: <laughs> no, I've had the same experience. Um, I always... I always say I'm not going to rush my peppers but because you never know what the weather's going to do like here. I actually planted, I want to say, five or six plants on the first day of spring, which was, what, March 20th? Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really nice and warm at that time. But we did get some cold nights into the 40s, which is cold for us. And literally, they just kind of sat there for probably three weeks. And I actually went and just kind of planted another round. I had a whole bunch of transplants going, but I planted another round in another little spot just a couple weeks ago. And they're already caught up, if not passing the ones that I planted two months ago. So um, yeah, really important that warm soil, warm temperatures. They love the sun, um, but it's amazing how they'll come back. I mean, a lot of times I'll cut off my ones that have dropped leaves and are looking really shabby and they'll start to sprout new growth, give them a nice dose of the fish emulsion or whatever. And it's amazing how much they really do start to take off once the temperatures are just right for them.
0: Yeah. And I think that leads to like, do you prune or not prune your pepper plants? And it's not so much pruning like suckers and stuff. Like we're talking about tomato plants. Um, It's really topping off. Like, do you pinch the top of the main stem when the plants? What? I don't know, 10 inches or 12 inches tall, or even smaller to create more bushier growth out of the joints.
1: You know, I don't, um, because I've, I, I mean, I've done it before, but I've just kind of found found it slows things down and I want to get peppers as soon as possible. So just not my preferred way to do it. And since I always put mine in those little uh, tomato cages, they've got plenty of you know space for them to kind of, um, for plenty of support, I should say, as the peppers right. start to grow. Uh, but I know there's definitely a good uh, a good portion of people who like to do that. So it's kind of an individual preference, I think.
0: Yeah. And I found, I mean, a couple of things that if you pinch the tops of some pepper plants, it does make them bushier and stockier. But if you have a long growing season, like you do for sure, I know your peppers can even overwinter, but even Mm -hmm. here in Maryland, um, they just do fine going crazy. I used to top, I used to top them a lot, but I found that if you're going to do that, bell peppers do not like to have their tops pruned. Um, You don't need to do it with banana peppers. Uh, The super hots don't like that to happen, Uh, but then there's other varieties. So if you're interested, you can kind of experiment if you're doing, you know, if you're growing two of the same variety or something like that, but it's not a must. You're right. It's totally a preference.
1: Right. Um, Now, just kind of talking a little bit about containers again with peppers is you can put a lot of peppers in a container. I mean, in a five gallon, you can grow two. If you really want to pack it in, you could pack in three plants in a five gallon, a 10 gallon, you can grow anywhere from like three to five. I mean, they really are the perfect container plant. They're just the right size for containers. So, um, you know, alongside of your 10 gallon indeterminate tomato plant, you're going to be growing pop in a couple of peppers. Now I, right now I actually have a little mini salsa garden going in a five gallon where I have a tiny Tim, a pepper plant, and I popped in some cilantro, even though it's already starting to flower and then some little bunching onions around the edge. So it's kind of cute. And, um, you know the pepper might not get, you know, full to size or anything like that, but it's just kind of a fun thing to do. So definitely a, a doable for a for a patio.
0: If you're just starting with peppers, definitely grow cubanelles, which are sweet. I mean, you can get a hot variety, but get the sweet cubanelle and the banana peppers because they are just they were actually really just bred to just produce like crazy. And they're a great starter pepper for people just getting started. I agree with you with how you pack them into a five gallon or 10 gallon. I even grew them in a two and a half gallon paint container years ago, one plant per yeah, two and a half gallons. They they don't need much. Um, in the containers, same thing with the tomato plants. You need to keep them watered. You need to be able to keep the soil going. The difference sometimes with the peppers and the video that, you know, I keep talking about this video, but it's fresh in my head. <laughs> Is when you're first getting started gardening, number one, you don't need to go crazy with it needs nitrogen at six inches. It needs more nitrogen at 14 inches. It needs phosphorus when it starts to flower. You can get to that in time when you have more experience. But you can just plant the pepper plant with a basic organic granular fertilizer, the dry fertilizer that's a slow release. Any numbers, you know, four, five, two five, three, three, whatever is fine. Two tablespoons in the planting hole, mix it through, put the pepper plant in, hit it with some water soluble fertilizer. You're going to read a lot that they need more phosphorus. They need more potassium. That's true to a degree, but in well prepared soil, the pepper plants know what to do. What you don't want to do is you don't want to keep hitting them with a high nitrogen, you know, when they're like, you know, two or three feet tall, really flowering, really producing because you can really get too many leaves and, and you don't want that. You want to kind of try and reduce the nitrogen at that point um, and just start with that. You can get fancier as you get more experience.
1: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned fertilizing because on Monday's live stream, that was kind of what I went over is kind of my general fertilizing routine, um, which is actually all detailed out in my new book because I think it's a point of confusion for a lot of people. Uh, so if you want more info on that, you can watch the replay of the live stream or you can mm-hmm. grab my book on uh, raised back gardening and it's all in there too.
0: Yeah. And it is confusing, but just remember compost itself is well below a one, one, one NPNK. It's great for the plants. It's great for the soil. Plants don't need tons of TLC. They just need consistent nutrients and consistent watering and they're going to really, you know, work for you. Let's do, I mean, we're getting up to one hour, but let's just do a quick double check of anything that we missed for pepper plants. Um, you have shade cloth on here. Do you use shade cloth for your, your peppers? Do if they need it gets, that sometimes? think it
1: gets pretty hot, um, you know, I'd say the high 90s, I'll throw some shade cloth over them. They are mulch pretty heavily, so that definitely helps. Um, but it's usually the last thing I shade. If I run out of shade cloth, they're, they're the last thing to get it because they can really take right. a lot of the heat too.
0: And I don't get, so, and this is a strategy for all of us in different locations in the U.S. and throughout the world. Sometimes certain plants have no real enemies. I get no, I have no problems with my pepper plants. They could get a leaf spot. It's rare, or they take care of it themselves real quickly. I don't get any uh, pests on there. So they are really hassle-free here on it in maryland on the east coast so i love growing them so i'm really pushing the limits you know i have those 25 plants in a four foot by four foot space which is a little crazy but i think that it's possible that it that it's going to work so you'll see what happens so
1: you'll be making a lot of salsa
0: (laughs) i'd be giving away a lot so (laughs) stuffed jalapenos with panko parmesan and olive oil baked in the oven or grilled are absolutely delicious. Oh
1: wow! Do you stuff them with um, like cream cheese or just nope. a, a hamburger type mix or just with you, the breadcrumbs?
0: Just with the breadcrumbs. Okay. So you, I mean, you could like, you could do a cream cheese one. We've done that cold before. And I think Poppers. they would be kind of good with some sort of protein in it, but it's yeah. just the panko breadcrumbs. Then you throw in um, the, the Parmesan cheese and then some oil. Uh, olive oil to kind of moisten it, okay, and you just get stuff with that and it's just absolutely oh, that sounds good. We wonderful. tend to
1: grill a lot of ours and then um I'll grill up like a bunch of the jalapenos and then chop them up for for salsa. so uh it's really, really good. The grill just kind of mm-hmm. brings out the flavor or softens the heat Whichever
0: yeah and i think if you want to have success a couple tomato plants one cherry plant cherry tomato type plant a couple varieties of peppers just include that banana pepper in there because when everything else seems to fail that banana pepper seems to do well and just kind of get your feet wet with you know kind of those general plants and and i think you'll have success in your garden
1: yeah tomatoes and peppers are definitely the garden classics i think to start with and if you can throw an eggplant in there too then that much more power to you, but um, endless varieties, endless um, amount of information out there on the topic. So just keep it simple, grow what you like, grow the rainbow, and just uh, dig right in. You can always share your extra pepper plants or your extra tomatoes with your friends and neighbors, which is what we really love to do, or bring them out to a a food bank or something like that if you really have a lot.
0: Yeah, I feel like I can can keep talking, so I'm going to sign us off. So we do have We do have the Freetown Farm event that's going to be June 25th. So we hope to see local people there. Um, I think it'll be a lot of fun and we will have lots of time to kind of interact and talk with people. And I will actually, like you said, put that information in the uh, video or the podcast description um, if people are interested in that. And then our next topic, I think we're going to roll maybe to June, July planting or we'll go into some other warm crops of cucumber, squash and zucchini. But let's say goodbye. So thanks for listening and we will see you. We'll talk with you in about two weeks.
1: Bye.